Huh. How's everyone doing this morning? Yeah, there's a little bit of energy in here. Um, awesome. So we are, um, I mean, we're getting closer to the end of this series where we're looking at Paul's prayers and his letters. And, and the beautiful thing about his prayers is his heart is so consistent. So what we should start seeing now as we're going through the last few prayers that we're going to look at is you're going to hear a lot of the themes that we've already been talking about coming back because Paul has some very specific things that he wants the church to be about. I should say Jesus has some very specific things he wants the church to be about that he writes through Paul. Um, and, and so you start seeing all of this overlap in, in these themes as they come up. So we're going to look today at um, one of Paul's prayers in the Thessalonian correspondence. So this is in chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians. Um, and we're just going to jump in because the, the, the words are good. Um, so we're going to start, I'm, we're going to look in chapter 3, but I actually want to start by reading just a few verses that come up before this in, in chapter 1 and in chapter 2. And again, Paul's heart for the people that he ministers to. We're going to go on and look at this prayer that's about how we love and how we love one another. Um, but, but just listen to the way he talks about this church. He didn't spend a whole lot of time with them. Um, but, but listen to these words. So this is uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, starting in verse 2. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So just pay attention in there to the motive of their actions their work produced by faith, their labor prompted by love, their endurance inspired by hope. Oh, faith, hope, and love. That sounds very Paul. Um, on into chapter 2, this beautiful verse. We also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, <clears throat> but as it actually is. The word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. So, I mean, we, we could stop right there and just say, let this be your church. Work prompted by faith, labor prompted by love, endurance prompted by hope, and, and receiving the truth as actually as the word of God that can transform. So this is him scattered through the letter as he's relating to this church, as he's leading up to this prayer of blessing that he prays over them, that we're going to be praying over each other this morning and this week. <clears throat> this is chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Such beautiful words. Um, and, and so again this morning we're doing Bible 101. If I come up here and I say things that aren't in the text, you can fire me, right? <clears throat> so you, you have permission. So I, I'm hoping the stuff I'm saying comes right out of these passages. We're trying to prove that I like the Bible. Um, so first, first prayer point that we're going to look at. What does it mean for us as a church? What are we going to pray 
Um, we've looked at this in brief before, but the prayer today, pray that we would increase in love for one another. Pray that we'd increase in love for, for one another. We looked at a prayer request before that we would overflow with love, and we talked about discerning love, a love that's marked by discernment. Well, this is very specific. This church and our church, that we'd be people that would increase in the love that we have for one another, because we've already got love for one another, right? Oh, no. <laughs> We got some work to do, people. <laughs> There's love for one another. So this is a prayer that that love would increase. Um, and so it, it's this simple prayer. May the, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other. So I want you to think, look around the people in the room. Um, there are people here who have been in this church and done ministry for 30, 40 years together. There is love for one another. There is a history of conflict and issues with one another. Um, there are people in this church that have been here for the last five to ten years. How is your love for them compared to the people that have been here for 40 years? There are people here, like me, that have been here for two months. How is your love for me, Jack, Renee, Daniel, other people that are newer to the congregation? Are you increasing in love for one another? And um, Do you look at the people around about you and are you overwhelmed with love? Beautiful prayer. Part two of the prayer, though. <laughs> make, your, make your love increase and overflow for each other. And then I, I don't really know what he's doing here. I feel like it's just like this little side jab a little bit. <laughs> make your love increase for one another and for everybody else. <laughs> so <laughs> how are you doing at the for everybody else? He just throws it in there. The, the, I, know, I, think he's, I think he's laughing as he's writing some of these things. But, you know, this is the prayer for the church. I'm going to keep saying it. We're supposed to be a people that are marked by love. First of all, by the love that we have for one another, the commitment that we are in as a community of people who don't just gather together on a Sunday, but by nature of being a part of a church community, we are covenanting to walk together in common fulfillment and common purpose for what God wants to do through us. So this is a covenant community where we're deciding to be committed one to another. So, so we have this prayer that we inside would grow in love for one another, but it's also this prayer that we would be continually growing in love and affection for everybody else, other churches, uh, the school next door, the neighbors, the people that live next to you, the people that get on your nerves. Um, this is the prayer. So. I want to put up a question here. I may have asked this question before, but it's a question that I come back to in my own life over and over and over again. If our faith, if the Christian journey is supposed to be a journey of increasing love, God is love. He tells us to love God and love people. We know love is a fruit of the Spirit. We've looked at prayers already, including this one, that tells to overflow in love. So if this faith is about increasing in love, that means over the duration of our lives, the capacity of our heart to love should be expanding, right? This Christian journey should be a journey of our heart's capacity increasing in our ability to love God and love people. So the question is, as you look at your heart, is your heart expanding or is your heart constricting? Is your heart expanding or is it contracting? And you can look at this and you can think in blanket generalities. If you stop and you look back over the last 10 years of your life, even if you look back a year past, a year ago from now, is your heart, has your heart increased in its capacity to love or has it restricted in its capacity to love over the last year? 
If you look over the last 10 years, you look back on your life, do you see yourself being someone that was critical, judgmental, bitter, selfish, and you've moved to a posture of more openness? Or have you seen yourself in a posture where you were excited and happy and, and, and uh, filled with joy in life? But as time has gone on, you've become more jaded and more critical and more bitter and more narrow-minded. Is your heart expanding or is it contracting? Um, the other side of this is then you start going, that's, that's the broad generality. Now start going at specifics. As you look at people in this church, is your heart expanding or contracting towards the church? As you look at specific individuals, is your heart expanding or contracting towards Kim or Dan or Gary or Ron? As you look outside of the church, I, I mean, again, we're in this climate, so I have to just touch on issues that are there. If you're a Republican, is your heart expanding or contracting towards Democrats? If you're a Democrat, is your heart expanding or contracting towards Republicans? As believers, is your heart expanding or contracting towards the people that are in the world around about us? Because when I look at Scripture, I don't see any point where it says that our heart should contract toward other people. It should never constrict. Our love should never be withheld. We're supposed to be moving in this process of increasing the quantity of love that we're giving even to our enemies. Um, so how are you doing in this season? Is your heart expanding or contracting? When it comes to the process of love, there are three words that kind of come to mind for me that, uh, that make love challenging. Um, <laughs> they're the words generosity, vulnerability, and risk. So when I think about what is really involved in the process of loving another person, we put the definition up before that love is seeking the highest good of the other person, often at cost ourselves. Um, but, but wrestling with like the love of God and what does it look like, I see first of all generosity. The generosity of this God, uh, the, the threefold triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, and this loving relationship for all eternity, overflowing and bursting with love, decides to create so that we can share and what he experiences. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need the world. He doesn't need our worship. They're perfect just as they are. But out of the generosity of his heart creates us to experience that love that he wants to offer us. We watch through scripture as he pours blessing over the world, over those who follow him and those who don't. He causes the sun to shine on the, on the righteous and the wicked, the wise and the foolish. Um, he, we, we know the story of Jesus coming and being sacrificed for us, this act of lavish generosity, of extravagance, so that God could bring us into his presence. We've talked about all of these prayers where, where God has this inheritance and these, these blessings and this power that's available to us, this rulership that he is imparting to us, uh, and this generous outpouring into our lives uh, of all of this amazing stuff. So if we want to be people marked by love, you can't be loving without being generous. Um, I, I was in a, a conference over the weekend, and, and one of our friends locally, as, as we're sharing at the end of one of the sessions, she made this comment that, that just stuck with me, and she said, you know, when a mom wakes up in the middle of the night to feed, she's usually waking up to feed someone else, not because she has a midnight craving. And she's like, what causes a mom to wake up in the middle of the night when she's not hungry to sacrifice sleep to feed a baby? It's motivated by love. 
It's that generous heart that doesn't always feel that way. <laughs> I, 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 I wasn't the mom in the situation, but I've had plenty of experience of it's your turn to feed. And I'm like, uh, 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 grumpy, grumpy daddy on the way. Um, are we a church? Are we a people that are marked by generosity? Are we people who are marked by stinginess? So if our heart is expanding towards other people, that means our capacity for generosity is increasing. If our heart is contracting, we're in the realm of stinginess and, and seeking to keep for ourselves uh, and putting our own interests before the interests of others. So as a church, as individuals in the church, as we look at our role in the community, are we marked by generosity? The second part of love here is vulnerability. Um, Love is hard and it's scary because love opens you up to hurt, right? We, we, we use this language commonly about, you know, thick skin, I'm tough, like I, I'm hard. You know, some people when they're more evil, we use the language like they're hard-hearted. Um, so there's this language that's an absence of love that talks about hardness and harshness and strength and toughness against other people. But then when we actually start talking about love, we start using language like heartbroken, woundedness, pain, pining, longing, desires that are unfulfilled. Uh, we start talking about feeling tender towards someone, uh, our gentleness and our love. So, so as our heart is expanding, as we're walking in more love, we become more vulnerable. Scripture tells us that God is replacing this heart of stone with a heart of flesh. He's taken this hard, impenetrable heart and making it this vulnerable, tender uh, organ that, that can be hurt. You look at the character of God, the God of creation, the all-powerful, almighty, ever-present God comes to us in the form of a baby. Like the most radical act of vulnerability. Um, you know, we, when it comes to loving other people, one of the biggest challenges that we have is the fear of rejection. Like, like I want to reach out to this person, but what if they reject me? I want to fix this damaged relationship, but what if they hurt me? Like, we, we fear that stuff. But the story of Scripture is a God who, even from day one, when we start the process of rejection, continues to put himself in a place to be hurt, to be rejected by the world, uh, to be turned against, to be spoken negatively of, yet he continues to pour love over us. This is the, the heart of God that we're supposed to represent to one another and in the world. Um, if you take this heart of God's generosity and you take the vulnerability of him coming in the incarnation, and then you go further and he doesn't just take the vulnerability of a child, but he actually is willing to suffer and die on our behalf. He's brutally tortured and murdered for us, an act of generous vulnerability. You put those things together, like love is risky. <laughs> the minute you choose to, I mean, it's why when someone's trying to, I mean, many of you have been in this journey, like, oh, is this the right person for me? Is this the one? What are we scared of? We're scared of getting it wrong. We're scared of being hurt. We're scared of it falling apart down the line. Some of us have been in relationships that have fallen apart. And then it's like, can God ever piece my heart and my relationship back together? Is there ever a hope and a future beyond this? Because love is risky. And love requires generosity. It requires vulnerability. And so when he prays this prayer that we would increase in love for one another, 
It's really a prayer that we would increase in generosity, that we would increase in vulnerability, and as people, we would move toward one another in risk. Like, I'm gonna risk disclosing things to you. I'm gonna risk pursuing you, knowing that you could reject me. I'm gonna risk sharing my story, knowing that you could use it against me. I'm gonna risk sharing my dreams, knowing that you could tramp all over them. Love is risky, and so this is an invitation as we are invited to increase in love for one another. It's an invitation to take risks toward one another. I want to to look at um, how do you actually increase your capacity to love? How do you actually do it? Because it's easy to sit up here and like exhort, we're supposed to be more loving and whatever, and our heart's supposed to be expanding. How does it happen? So I'm gonna give four very simple steps. I think I've got them all on one slide. Um, and, and we'll go through them one at a time. So if this slide goes off, don't worry, they're coming back. More, four simple steps. I think if you want to increase your capacity to love God and love others, this is what it looks like. So first one, um, receive from the source. Again, this is, this is 101, but it's super important because we forget this every moment of every day. Um, 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. And that's not just a, a statement to Christians. Any love that exists in this world exists because God first loved. You cannot love without first having received love from God. So whether people accept it or reject it, the ability to love has come from his love first. Um, Paul, in his beautiful letter to the Romans 5.5, he's saying, you know, hope doesn't disappoint us. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts by his spirit who he's given us. Um, So we go out into the world and we try and love them. We try and love one another. We try and love ourselves, but we do it in our own ability, with our own reserve. If you imagine a cup of love inside your heart that you're drinking from every day and you're feeding other people from, it depletes and it runs out. And when that happens to me, I'm grumpy daddy, right? (laughs) I'm grumpy Scotty. You'd never believe it, would you? I get grumpy. Sue got, Sue didn't see my grumpiness, but she got a whiff of my stubbornness this week as I was trying to reorganize my office. I was like, I am going to win. It's going to happen. But that moment when you revert from dependence on his flow and outpouring into our own reserves. Um, I like to envision this cup inside and I said, God is pouring his love into that cup. It's just going to overflow. But what we tend to do is we kind of step out from the flow and it's like, I've got my cup and I'm going to dish out from this. Because it's easier for us, like in our fallenness, it's easier to just dish out what we have than to actually take the work to be in his flow and be open to what he wants to pour out so that we have more to give to other people. This we've practiced for our whole life. We know how to do this. But coming inside his flow to fill us up and give it to others is hard. So you want to increase your capacity to love. It starts by learning to receive from the source. And it doesn't matter how long you have walked with the Lord. And it doesn't matter how good you feel you are at this. There's more to learn and there's more to receive. Um, And so don't settle with where you're at. Continue the pursuit of more of what he has to offer. So so first of all, receive from the source. Secondly, reflect on your sin. Reflect on your sin. This this is such a a beautiful passage in Luke um, as he's anointed by the sinful woman. People are challenging Jesus. Do you know who this woman is? Why are you letting her touch you? Because she'll make you unclean. 
He says, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. How degrading do you think that would feel to wipe the dirt off someone's feet with your hair? You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. How many of you are in the habit of kissing feet? Not an image that we like. (laughs) You did not put oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as as, uh, as her great love has shown. Whoever has been forgiven little loves little. If you have a little capacity for love, it means you have a little concept of the forgiveness that you've been offered. The the converse of this, forgiven little loves little, forgiven much loves much. And so you want to increase your capacity to love, you have to spend time reflecting on your sinfulness. What have you been forgiven of? Um, and, and, and not just let's sit and look at how miserable you are and all these horrible things that you've done and just sit there depressed for the week. That's not what we're saying. But the unconditional love of Jesus that knowing every evil part of your heart, every mistake you've made, is moving in love toward you, chose you, saved you, brought you to himself, chose to take up residence inside of you, knowing every wicked, evil thought that exists within you. And not just chooses to live inside it, but has actually wiped you clean, has taken it upon himself, has credited his purity to your account so that when God looks at you, he sees you through Jesus and sees his righteousness. He sees your heart, not your brokenness. He sees the, the child that he created, not the sins that mar you. Um, if we don't understand the magnitude of our sin, it's easy to look at people out there and start going, my sin isn't as bad as their sin. And in the church, that person did this. I would never do something like that. My sin is nowhere near as horrible and grotesque as their unkindness is, you know? But as soon as we're in that place where we're looking and we're quantifying whose sin is worse than the other, Who's, who, who, who's worse off, who's better in the kingdom? All of a sudden, our capacity to love is diminished because at the end of the day, our ability to love comes from encountering the unconditional love of Jesus that's found at the foot of the cross and then found in the empty tomb. So how much time do you spend reflecting on your brokenness? How many times do you take an honest reckoning of your sin? How often do you bring those things to Jesus and burst with joy that those things have been forgiven, that you're redeemed, that he doesn't see you that way. I remember uh, a meeting with my spiritual director and he said something to me that I really struggled with. And since I reflected on it, I'm just like, I'm like, I was like, I'm never gonna say that from a pulpit, but here we go. He looked at me one day and he says, you know, God doesn't care about your sin. And I was like, no, God does. <laughs> I read it in the Bible. God hates sin. God sent Jesus to die for my sin. Like, God hates sin, and he hates my sin. He's like, God doesn't care about your sin. He's like, when God is looking at you, what do you think he's thinking? Is he going, oh, Dan, look what you did this week. Go sort your life out before we can talk again today. He's like, Dan, I love you. Like, my desire is for you to come to me. 
Like, I don't care what you did. I don't care about the sin. I don't care about the brokenness. Just come. Um, but we're so caught up in God, like, being all stuck over our sin. Um, you want to go home, reflect on Psalm 103, re- reflect on Psalm 139, re- reflect on Psalm 51, reflect on this parable um, in, in Luke 7. Or it's not a parable, it's a story of what actually happened. God doesn't, he's not fixated on your sin. He doesn't care about your sin. He cares about you and your heart. Is that permission to go sin? No, it's not. But that's not his primary posture towards us. And it's only as we sit and we reflect on our sin and we encounter this understanding of God's unconditional love toward us that we're then able to walk out and offer unconditional love to other people. Because as soon as I have failed, and I've experienced God's redemption and my failure, I now can look at someone else and see their brokenness and their failure and say, there's hope. I've seen what God did to me. I've seen how he reached out to me in my most broken place. You're not too far from him. Nothing can separate you from him. And I promise you that when you encounter his love, it's going to change and transform your life. So first one, receive from the source. The second one, reflect on your sin. The third one, rejoice in differences. And this is where, like, we're terrible at this. (laughs) I don't know if it's just human nature. I don't know if it's just Western culture. No, it's not. It's human nature. It's fallen nature. Um, And it's, in many senses, exaggerated in the church. Just, just for the sake of a passage there that, that talks about this. You know, we're one body with many parts, but all the parts form one body. We're all baptized into one spirit to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free. We're all given this one spirit to drink. Even so, the bod- body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the whole body was an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body was an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed all the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. It's a beautiful depiction of diversity and difference. But we go, I like eyes. I want to be with all the eyes. We see the things that God pours into the world. And so we see them. So let's all gather together and just be eyes together. And we'll just look out there and celebrate what God does. And we'll be like, oh, look at those ears. They, they don't see the pictures that we see. They don't see the things out there that we're seeing. They're not seeing the miracles we're seeing. We're listening. We're receptive. We're in the Word. We just listen to what God says in the Word. We just soak it up. Oh, I love ears. Let's gather with all these. You know, it's the way we operate in this world. And then within the church, it's like, oh, I, 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 like, I like alliance church people. I don't like those Roman Catholic people, and I I don't like those Lutheran people, and I don't like those Pentecostal people, and I don't like those uh, Assemblies of God people. I I just like my little Alliance people. Um, And we do this thing where we start, like, rejoicing in our similarity, which isn't bad. Like, rejoicing in similarity, that is a lot of how we form friendships. We form relationships based around affinity. You go to the same church, you attend the same school, you work in the same place, we have a commonality. I like hiking, you like hiking. You like fishing, he likes fishing. You come together, you sew and craft, you do carding, you, like, and we, we gather around these affinities. So it's our natural habit to gravitate towards the people that, that are the same as us, who look the same as us, who have the same social situ- socioeconomic situation. On your street, you gravitate to the houses that were raised similar 
to you, that have values similar to you. If your house is worn down and fallen apart, you kind of resonate with the people in the street whose houses are worn down and fallen apart. If your house is the nice shiny house in a neighborhood and all the others look bad, you're looking for the other person in the neighborhood whose house is as pristine as yours and you connect over these similarities. And that's good. God's designed it that way so that we connect with one another. But you want to expand in your capacity to love, you have to start rejoicing in differences. Laurie, where are you and I different? And let's rejoice about it. You're a woman and I'm a man, and that's a beautiful thing because there's things that you will understand about the heart of God that I will never grasp, and I need that. You're older than me and I'm younger. Those are differences that we get to celebrate as we bring wisdom and youth together to move forward. So we rejoice in difference. Could you just imagine as a church if we were people who celebrated differences rather than rejected them? So if someone walked in this door whose values, lifestyle, look was completely different from everything you stand for, that rather than being like, whoa, who's this walking in our door? You'd be like, wow, they're so different. I have so much to learn. God, help me to learn the perspective they're coming from, the journey they've been on, the life that they're living so that I can increase in my capacity to love not just them, but the people in here and the people out there. So we have to be people who rejoice in differences. You want to increase your capacity to love, notice difference and celebrate it. The fourth one, and this is similar, but we have to reach across barriers. So a couple of passages here. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There's not male nor female. We're all one in Jesus. What did Jesus do when he come? came? He broke every barrier to bring people together. Um, he, the God of the universe, broke the barrier to come and live with us as humans. Uh, in this way that we'll never understand. The, the Romans 5 one, I, I think about this passage all the time. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. If when we were God's enemies, we were saved, then how much more that we're brought to him are we reconciled through, through his son? But this idea that like God even broke the barrier of pursuing enemies to demonstrate the extent of his love. So you want to understand what the heart of love is that God walks in. It is love your enemies. Like, lots of people in the world can love people like them. Lots of people in the world can, can move that step forward to love people that are different. It is a supernatural occurrence when someone steps out in love toward their enemy. And that's the progress that we're supposed to be making. We love ourselves. We love the people around about us. We love the people like us. We love the people different to us. And then this last category, the height of our ability to walk like Jesus is to move out to people in and outside of the church that we consider enemies and express love, reconciliation, forgiveness toward those people. Whenever I think about love, the, the, the word that always comes to mind for me is hospitality. And, and again, we, we get these words so Christianized and, and, and we reduce hospitality to, I have the gift of hospitality. When you come to my house, I make it look really pretty and I put nice things on the table. And we're like, that's hospitality. And in church, we say, we're gonna have a hospitality team. So put centerpieces on the table, make sure there's greeters on the door. And that's a part of hospitality. And some people are gifted at that and that gift enhances hospitality. But hospitality is more about the posture of who we are. This is Henry Nouwen, um, who's, who's one of the best people writing in this area. Um, it's primarily the creation of free space 
where the stranger can enter and become a friend instead of an enemy. Hospitality is not to change people, but to offer them space where change can take place. It's not to bring men and women over to our side, but to offer freedom not to be disturbed by dividing lines. This is hospitality. It's the ability to create a space where someone else can come in and be transformed. It's, it's what Jesus does for us. He creates this space where we come to him. He ho- offers hospitality to us, brings us into this space, and changes us. Um, it's, it's when we talk about a church, how, how do you, there's the mission element, how do you get out there and reach people, but then there's a question of how hospitable are they, what are we when they walk in the door? It's like, I'm quite happy to minister to you out there. We'll go down and we'll serve the homeless. But how would you feel if half our congregation was homeless people coming in? Uh, it's like, oh, are we hospitable? Uh, are we creating a space where that stranger cannot just become a person that attends our church, but becomes a friend? Uh, not so that we can change them and get them into a house and clean them up and get them a college degree so they can become white middle class just like us but a space where they can change in the timeline that God wants them to, in the way he wants them to. Not so we can win them over to our way of thinking, to our theological perspective, to the alliance way of doing things, but a space where those dividing lines are erased and we sit in relationship regardless. And at the end of the day, hospitality starts inside. Hospitality is the ability to create space inside yourself for someone else to live. Now, the beautiful thing is, Jesus started that for us because when we put our faith in him, they came and and made residence inside of us. So they're already residing in there and he's getting the the space in there ready for other people to be able to enjoy. I want to put up a quote here um, by a a theologian, Klaus Sissler. He's down at Talbot, but he's got a book called Wasting Time with God that if you're looking for... Uh, a deep, rich read, I would highly recommend it. The subtitle's uh, A Christian Spirituality of Friendship with God. Beautiful. But, but he, he reflects on the relationship between our love for God and our love for people. And, and this is what he says. Within any relationship between two persons involving different levels of maturity, the lesser intimate and the lesser mature person sets the boundary for how intimate the friendship can become as illustrated in an example between a parent and a teenager. The more mature member is capable of greater intimacy, but the immature member cannot rise above his or her own present relational and emotional limitations. Similarly, in a relationship with God, the believer, the limited member, is always the weaker party. Therefore, the more a believer develops mature relational and emotional competencies, the more he or she can enter into a richer love relationship with God. And he's going to go on in in this chapter of the book to say this right here is the school that God has given us to increase our relational, our intimate, our emotional capacity so that we have better capacity to love the God that we serve. So all of these things, as we receive from him, as we reach out across barriers, as we rejoice in differences, these things are changing our capacity to love that in turn increases the capacity that we can offer to the God that we serve. 
So we come to him, he initiates the work, he transforms us, he motivates us to move in love toward the people around about us. We start practicing these things that cause us to increase in love. And then as our heart expands, because he's at work in us and at work in the situation, we now have more that we can offer him and we have a bigger, bigger bucket that he can fill so that we can go out and do the same thing all over again. So this prayer that we would increase in love for one another is, is a prayer that, that we would be marked by the generosity of God, the vulnerability of God, that we would take risks and the way we love inside and outside of the church so that our heart's capacity is increased so that God gets more glory as a result of it all. Last thing before we take communion. The, the little second part of the prayer, I don't need to talk about much, but he adds this, this second request. May he strengthen your hearts so that you'll be blameless and holy. And so pray that we as a church would be holy. And that the comment I wanted to make here is the relationship between love increasing and holiness. He sandwiched these two sentences together because in his mind they're connected so that we would increase in love and when we talk about love, we talk about our heart. So we're talking in here. He says, may your heart be strengthened to be blameless. It literally says to be blameless in holiness. Um, holiness is more about our orientation towards God, which is relationship, than it is about our orientation towards sin, the right and the wrong. It's more about our love relationship with God. Right now, are you facing him or are you turned away from him? When you're driving down the road, are you facing him or are you turned away from him? Holiness is about our orientation toward him, not about what we're doing right or wrong. We get it so wrong. So then we have this inability to love one another because we're so focused on are you doing it right and wrong? <laughs> and now I can judge you and I can judge myself and I compare. But it's about the orientation in our heart towards God and towards other people. We're going to do a couple of things to wrap up. We're going to take communion together, um, and it's at your table. And, you know, what are we talking about? We're talking about this extravagant, generous, vulnerable expression of God toward us. And as we're taking communion, that's exactly what this is. These elements represent the generous gift that he gave as in vulnerability he was broken for us. Um, so as we're taking communion, this is an opportunity for us to reflect on, on those two elements of him. And, and as, we, as we swallow it, I mean, in, in the Protestant tradition, we, we lose some of the richness that's been in the other elements of the church. But when we take these things into us, something happens in our life. We are this step of obedience to God. He said, do this in remembrance of me. So when you do this, you're responding in obedience to his command. That changes you. This is a symbol of the, the sacrificial love of Jesus. You're taking his death into you so that his resurrection work can happen in us. So uh, I don't know if the band will play some finger picking or whatever um, as we take communion. Oh, are we going to sing a whole song? We're going to sing a whole song. Let, let, okay, here's what we're going to do. Band's going to come up. I, I'm going to do the second part first. So part of this series is prayer, right? Um, an expression right now is, is that we would increase for love and, and love for one another. So as I was thinking about this all week, I was thinking, you know, there's people in here who are hurting right now. I don't know your situation. You're maybe wrestling with sin issues. Maybe it's health stuff. 
Uh, maybe there's fear. Maybe as we've been talking about these uh, topics over the last few weeks, there's some issues being raised inside of you. Um, I want us to pray for you um, as an expression of our love for one another. So if you're here and you have something weighing on you, I just want you to put your hand up in the air. We're not going to make people come over and touch you because it's socially distancing. Um, but is there anyone here who, who is in need of prayer? You're looking at stuff in your life and saying, man, I wish someone could help break this in my life. To answer it requires vulnerability. <laughs> Laurie and, and Jessica, Sandy. Awesome. Can you three just stand up? You don't need to tell us what it is. We're just going to pray for you. So what I would love is if you are near, whoever's near Sandy, whoever's near Jessica, whoever's near Laurie, I want you to just turn around and, and I want you to just point your hands toward them. Just as pick someone and just direct your hands toward them just so that we know that you're praying for them. And I just want you to pray. Like, so I'm, I'm going to count down from three and I just, that yet. <laughs> I just want everyone in the room to pray out loud at the same time for one of the people. That makes sense? Um, and let's just pray that God moves in and through them. So three, two, one.